Welcome to Union Chapel. We're so glad you're here. It's a beautiful morning. I hope you're well. I'm Greg Paris, and we are studying the subject of life. Now, this actually will conclude the series on life, and so this is the end of life as we know it. And so try not to get too, too sober about that. But today I want to talk about the meaning of life. The meaning of life. How many of you agree that's important to know? If you're confused about that, this is something we need to clarify because if you understand your purpose and the point and the meaning of your existence, it'll really help you, help you a lot. Uh, and if you don't understand it, it'll hurt you a lot. So we need to remind ourselves what the meaning of life is. We're going to go back to the wisdom of Solomon today, to the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm going to read from the first chapter. And here in the first uh, chapter of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is actually telling us some things that are actually a consequence that occurs in people's lives when we don't understand the meaning of life. And he shares some of those things, and we'll learn from that and then try to build a definition of life's meaning. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1, I'm going to read the first 11 verses there. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word, so if you're able, thank you for doing that. Let's hear the wisdom of Solomon. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south, turns to the north, round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was already here long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. So may God enlighten us, instruct us through his word today. You may be seated. Thanks so much. First grader approached his mother. He said, Mommy, where did I come from? She went, oh boy. She rolled her eyes, took a deep breath, and for the next 20 minutes, she began to unpack the facts of life for her first grader. And she talked about the difference between boys and girls and, 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 and how human biology works and the reproduction process. And after about 20 minutes, uh, she stopped and wondered if it had taken effect. And her first grader looked kind of bored. And he said, okay, Mom, uh, my friend Jerry said that he came from Tulsa. And so she immediately realized she'd asked the wrong question, been answering the wrong question. And in life, it's important to ask the right questions because if you don't ask the right questions, you're going to end up with the wrong answers. If you don't ask the right questions, then you'll get the wrong answers and it'll, it'll have consequences in your life. And so it's important, really important, vitally important that you ask the right questions. One of the most important questions in life is what is the point of life? What is the meaning of of life. Why am I here? And unless you can answer that question, bad things will happen to you and bad things will happen through you until you come to terms with life's real meaning. 
Solomon asked the question in Ecclesiastes 7.24, how can anyone discover what life means? And, and so he wrestled with the question. We come to this first chapter of Ecclesiastes, and now Solomon notes five problems that occur when people fail to understand the point of life. And not only are there people who fail to understand the point of life, they actually, in some cases, have understood the point of life and have forgotten or misplaced their ultimate meaning. And so regardless of where we are in the continuum here, we never understood life's meaning or we understood it and we kind of lost it. We need to be reminded of life's ultimate meaning. So let's uh, unpack some of these things that Solomon suggests are problems that occur when we misplace life's ultimate meaning. The first thing he says, it's on your outline there, is that life seems useless. Seems useless. Verses 2 to 4, life is meaningless. You work your whole life and what do you have to show for it? The world just stays the same. I know that perhaps some of you have felt that way. Now, without knowing life's purpose, it can get that way. You feel like it's a treadmill. It's a boring, predictable routine. It's a repetitious cycle of meaningless activity. You get up early. You stay up late. You work hard trying to provide. What do you have to show for it? When you die, you lose it all anyway. Even if I try to do meaningful things for other people, they don't seem to appreciate it. Life is useless. The, the Latin word in this text for the word meaningless actually means a soap bubble. Can you see it? Floating up, a soap bubble, and then what? Pop, poof, it's gone. And sometimes life can feel useless. Here's another thing that Solomon, in his wisdom, reminds us. Without real meaning, life seems tiresome. Seems tiresome. Verses 4 to 8, we're just going around in circles, ending up where we started. We meet ourselves coming and going. Life is like a rat race, a hamster on a wheel. It's all just tiresome. You know, it's shoveling the walk in the winter, mowing the grass in the summer, only for that to all come back around again. Shoveling and mowing. It's uh, taking down the Christmas lights, only to have to put them up again. Is there anyone else here besides me who feels like Christmas happens about every 10 days and you just, that's all you do is take stuff up and put it down? Yeah, it can happen. It's, uh, it's making money and spending it all. Where'd all the money go? It's tiresome. This not only applies to those who don't know the point of life, but as I mentioned for folks who have forgotten the meaning of life, life can seem useless or tiresome. And here's the third thing. Life seems unfulfilling. Unfulfilling. Now let me quote the great theologian philosopher Mick Jagger of the Rolling Stones who said, I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. I tried, and I tried, and I tried, but I can't get no satisfaction. I think we got it. Verses 8 to 10 of Ecclesiastes 1 says, no matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. History merely repeats itself. Nothing is really new. And at times, life can seem unfulfilling that way, right? No matter what I do, I'm not fulfilled. No matter what I see or what I read or what I hear or what I experience, I'm not satisfied. I'm not content. History simply repeats itself. There's nothing new. I'm bored because life is unfulfilling. Have you ever uh, felt that way? Sometimes I do if I lose sight of the meaning and purpose of my life and get that way. People are very restless in today's culture as a result of this, I think. 
restlessness. Some people are so restless they can't sit in a worship service for even one hour before they you know, feel like they need to go somewhere else. You know the intention span of a typical fifth grader now is eight seconds. Eight seconds, you got eight seconds, ready, go, to leave an impression on a fifth grader. Yeah, it's very difficult. I read recently that the average American now will change the channel from their remote control 350,000 times over the course of their life. 350,000 times. <laughs> Listen to me. I think that's an underestimate. I think I changed the channel 350,000 times just on Thursday last week. <laughs> there, you know, there are 400 channels. You've got to keep it moving. Now, one thing that I will not do, I don't do anymore, is I, watch, I don't watch commercials. I don't watch any TV now in real time. Nothing. Not even sporting events in real time. Because I don't want to watch the commercials. The only thing that commercials are good for are reminding you of your demographic. You know, your basic, your, your age level, your generation, who's watching this program. Because you can determine by the commercials who is watching this particular program. For example, if during a commercial you see someone advertising pimple cream for your face you know that you're watching this program with a bunch of young people who have pimples. If, on the other hand, you're watching a program and the commercial comes on and it's for uh, home use catheters and reverse home mortgages, stuff like that, then you know you're watching a program with a bunch of geezers. <laughs> and you can get a feel for who you are in the world. But, th but other than that, <laughs> commercials aren't worth much. <sighs> The sad part is that I actually know what the commercials are in some of these programs uh, to report it to you even now. So we're restless, we're bored, we're unfulfilled because we forgot to know the point of life. Here's a fourth thing, the wisdom of Solomon. I hear it. He said life seems insignificant, insignificant. Verse 11, there's no remembrance of men of old and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. So what's Solomon saying? He said, no matter what I do, the monuments I build, the assets I accumulate, the professional success that I achieve, no one is going to remember. No one's going to care. Fame is fleeting. They may remember you today, but that'll be it. It's not what have you done, but it's what have you done for me lately. I mean, some of you students, you walk into buildings on Ball State's campus, you walk into a nice big building that has the name of some guy or, or some gal on the side of the building. It's because they gave a lot of money to help build a building. But you don't know them, and you don't care who they are. I mean, you, maybe you're glad that you have a nice building to sit in, to take classes in, but no one remembers these guys. It doesn't matter. So life seems insignificant. Here's the last thing that Solomon includes in this first chapter of Ecclesiastes. He said life seems uncontrollable. Uncontrollable. And it's really true, isn't it? If you don't know or if you've forgotten the meaning of life, that life seems like it's out of control. You ever feel that way? Verse 15 from Ecclesiastes 1 says, you can't straighten out what is crooked. You can't count things that aren't there. Yeah, so he's referring to things beyond our control. Let me ask you this question. Is there anything in your life that is out of your control? Anything in your life out of your control? Yeah, like just everything, every moment of every day is out of your control. Most things in life are out of control. It seems that life is completely out of control and we don't understand life's purpose or its meaning. 
Ultimately, if you don't know the meaning of life, life is meaningless. If you don't know the point of life, life becomes pointless. If you don't know why you exist, life then is experienced without meaning. So if you're defined as a person who doesn't know the meaning of life, or you've forgotten the point of life, there's really three basic options that you have in response to that. I mean, if you're confused about the real meaning of life, three things you can do. One thing is you can create your own meaning. Just make something up. As it turns out, in God's design, creative design for each one of us, he's made us for dignity and structure and purpose. And every human being in the world, whether they acknowledge it or not, have an intuition, an instinct, if you will, of something important about their life. Because God made us all with this enormous potential and the need for significance and substance and purpose, that thing that dignifies us as human beings. And, and so we're drawn to it. And people absent from an awareness of God's best plan and meaning for their life, they'll pursue meaning for themselves. And so people will come to a conclusion where the controlling value in their life is to make money. That's why I'm alive, to make money. That's, I'm here to have success in whatever endeavor I embrace. I, I'm here to have a successful life. Or people will just say, I'm here to be a Colts fan. Here to be a Cubs fan. Here, here to follow NASCAR. That's why I'm here. It's my controlling value in life. It's who I am. And so folks begin to make up and create some meaning for themselves. That's why, in my opinion, that we have such a forceful presence of a humanistic kind of worldview that's emerging in our world right now, in our culture. Humanism simply says that I can make up my own agenda, uh, that, that human beings are the beginning and end of all things, and so therefore, in the created order, is just the end of it. You could argue that three of the most brilliant minds that humanity has ever created are these names. Follow these names. Karl Marx, Sigmund Freud, and Charles Darwin. Marx, Freud, and Darwin. You can argue that these are three of the most brilliant men who've ever lived. You can make an argument for that. But I want to just say that even though these, these, uh, uh, these three men had different areas of, of specialty, had different genres of interest, and they applied their genius to different issues of life, all of them, all three of them, essentially, fundamentally, ultimately, came to the same conclusion. All three of them. I need you to think with me for a moment. Here's what they said. You came from nothing, and you are going nowhere. You came from nothing, and you are going nowhere. But this is what they added. Even though you have come from nothing, and you are going nowhere, in the meantime, while you're alive on the earth, you should have dignity and meaning and purpose. You came from nothing, and you're going nowhere, but in the meantime, you know, be an important person. Be a purposeful person. You came from nothing. You, you came, you originated from some primal ooze, some primordial goop. Came from nothing. You were a cosmic accident. You were the coincidental timing of the necessary conditions of water and light and enough time, and shazam, boom, out popped you. 
At some point, you were a very, very simplistic cell, and you got washed up on the riverbank or on the shore of the sea, and given enough time, you sprouted some legs, and given enough time, you crawled on out into the bush, and, you, and, and, and given enough time, poof, out popped you. You stood up. Here you are. But all you really are is a complicated, a complex germ. You came from nothing, and you are going nowhere. But in the meantime, have dignity and purpose in life. Now, here's my, my response to that worldview, that philosophy. Give me a break. Give me a huge break. I may look stupid, but don't treat me like I'm stupid. Because if you're trying to convince me with your worldview that I came from nothing and I am going nowhere, but in the meantime, I'm supposed to live a noble life, at least have the intellectual honesty to admit that if I came from nothing and I am going nowhere, that the ultimate meaning of life is that it is meaningless. It is pointless. It is worth less. Life can't mean anything at all if I came from nothing and I'm going nowhere. If all there is to this life is being born and living however many days you have on this earth and then you die and there's nothing left, there's no accountability, there's no God, there's no creator, there's no creation, there's no accountability in life, there's no eternity to imagine, then have the guts to admit that life doesn't matter. Stop telling me that it does because it makes no rational sense to me. And so if your worldview and your philosophy of life, the way you perceive the world is that you came from nothing and you're going nowhere, then at least have the intellectual integrity to say that I'm going to live however I choose because life really doesn't matter. It has no purpose. So I can abort my unborn children. I can euthanize the old and the infirm. I can abuse people close to me. I can abandon people who are counting on me. And I can live my life based and defined on convenience and, and self-pleasure. If, if you are a humanist, then please, you should grab for all the gusto that you can manage in the short time that you have and hope you die young. Because getting old is no bargain. So go for it and then die young. Be a pretty corpse because it's over. And people more and more in our world are reaching for their own meaning created by their own, their own confusion. And it's happening more and more all the time. Now, there's another option. If you're confused about your meaning in life, the purpose of your life, you can either create your own meaning, or the second thing is you can escape. You can escape from life. You can ignore life. You can run from life. You can watch TV 24-7. You can take mind-altering drugs. You can go from sex partner to sex partner. You can commit suicide which is the ultimate escape, the third leading cause of death in the United States, the second leading cause among teens. A horrible example of it just happened this week on Ball State's campus. Terrible tragedy. Very, very sad. But if life is meaningless and it makes no sense, then why not just end it? Why not? 
It's actually logical. It's It's a reasonable response to life that has no meaning. Why not just check out? An alarming and disturbing trend among young people in our culture today is a, is, a, is a fact that I have learned just recently that young people in our culture now between the ages of 19 and 35, do you hear that range? 19 and 35, 40% of folks in that age category are still living with their parents. 40%. Now, all kinds of speculation about why there's, there is uh, this delay in people's development in becoming adults in, in becoming, taking responsibility as full-blown adults, later to get married, later to have children, later to engage a career. All this stuff is, has been put on hold. It's on delay. It's stunted in our culture right now. And lots of people speculating about the reasons for that, and there are some sociological and cultural reasons that, that make sense that can explain that. But here's what I want to sub- submit to you. Listen, that's another form of checking out. That's just another indication to me that you are not in touch with your meaning and your purpose and the destiny that Almighty God has placed in your life. Now, if you want to tell me that 40% of the people in that age range, Almighty God has designed for them to get finish high school, go to college, finish a college degree sometimes, sometimes not, and then just go back and live in your mother's basement, if you think that's God's plan and will for your life, then I want to shake you. Because nothing could be further from the truth. Is this too harsh? The most common phrase that I hear from people 19 to 35 years old when I ask them about their future is the phrase, I'm afraid, and then fill in the blank. I'm afraid. I'm afraid that, I'm afraid this will, I'm afraid that will... Let me just remind you, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but love and power and a sound mind. You've come to Union Chapel. I'm an old geezer. I watch TV programs that have catheters and uh, reverse mortgages and commercials. But here's what, I, here's what you're going to get. If you'll just stand in front of me and bend over, I'll kick you. <laughs> Give you some momentum on your way. Because you can do it. You can do it. God has his hand on you. God has his hand on your generation. God has big plans for you. God has a destiny for you. He's got a purpose. He's got meaning. He's got a point in mind for you. And he's going to use you in amazing ways if you'll face into your fears and push into his destiny for your life. Glory to God. So people will make up their own meaning. They'll escape from life. But here's the third thing. Let's just flip this sermon up right if we can. And that is you can discover the real meaning of life. And let me describe what it is. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. This is from the Living Bible. Long ago, even before God made the world, he chose us to be his very own through what Christ would do for us with his love. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. And he did this because he wanted to. He did this because he wanted to. So here we begin to get an idea of the meaning of life, the ultimate purpose of life. That is that God created us so he could love us. Think about that. 
We exist to be the object of God's infinite love and value. God is love, and in order for love to be real, it has to be expressed. And so he created human beings to be the focus, the beneficiary, the expression of his love. You are the expression of God's infinite love, care, and value. And that's one of the primary reasons why you exist. This is the point. This is the meaning of life. For God to love you and to value you. Now let that soak in. You exist, not because you, not because you came from nothing and you're going nowhere. You exist because God made you to love you and to value you and give you a sense of purpose. And not just for here and now, but for eternity as well. Look at Ephesians 1.10. I'll put it on the screen. And this was his purpose, that when the time is right, he will gather us all together to be with him in Christ forever. So you are personally moving toward an appointed destiny. Life is not some vicious cycle of meaningless striving. It is not. You have an eternal destiny. Life here and now is actually preparation for eternity and eternal life. This is really, really good news. So let's, make, let's redefine meaning and purpose. One says... The humanistic worldview, the atheistic worldview that's becoming more popular in our, in our world today says that you came from nothing and you are going nowhere. But here's what God says. God says you came from someone and you are going somewhere. You came from someone and you're going somewhere. You came from God and to God you will return. I was created by God to be the object of his love and his value and I have a destiny and a purpose in this life which prepares me for an eternal destiny with Jesus Christ forever. Very, very exciting. I exist for a reason and a purpose. I have a destiny, and my life here and now, no matter how long or short it is, is preparation for the eternal life to come. Don't think eternal time. That'll wear you out. Think eternal life. God has life designed for all of us. Therefore, Therefore, think about this, the choices I make, the things I do in this life do have meaning and purpose. So when the, when, the, when the great minds of history say you came from nothing, you're going nowhere, but you should have dignity in the middle, listen, their argument won't hold. But when Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, and the person who put you together and designed you with the unique potential that you have as a person as the object of his love and value, says to you that what you do in the life here and now matters because it acknowledges that you came from someone and it, and it, and it plans future for a life that will be spent with Jesus Christ forever. So therefore, what I do, the choices I make, the, the desire to live in a God-honoring way in this life pays great dividends both now and then. We are all part of a bigger picture. So my faithfulness to family, that matters. My integrity in relationships, that carries forward. My honesty in business, that has an impact. My work ethic in labor, that has an influence. My carefulness in decisions, my devotion to God all become priorities because they have temporal and eternal value and meaning. I came from someone and I'm going somewhere. So I live my life aware of that truth. Listen to Ecclesiastes 3.11. It says, God has set eternity in our hearts. God has set eternity in the hearts of men. That means God has long-range plans for you. 
long-range plans. You came from someone. You're going somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do we do? What are we supposed to do? It, it, maybe you're convinced of this. Maybe this is my meaning, to be the beneficiary of God's love and value. So what, how am I sh- to respond to this? What should I do? I'm glad you asked. Here's what you do. Number one, pursue a relationship with God. Pursue a relationship with God. He's, he's loved you with an everlasting love. He's lavished his love on you. He's given you love that never fails and never runs out. He's, he's offered his very own son as a demonstration of his love for you. It's an expression of his love. He went to this extreme expense to show his love to us. And so how, how do we respond? Respond by pursuing a relationship with God. Get to know God. John 1.12 says, To all who receive him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. Do you hear those two action words there? Believe and receive. Believe and receive. Believe in God and receive the gift that he offers, the expression of his eternal love for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Believe and receive. Pursue a relationship with God. Take a step toward him. Say yes to the love he offers you. Let me just say it outright. Unless and until you say yes to the gift of life through Jesus Christ, you'll never understand life. Life will never make sense to you unless and until you receive and believe God's great gift of life and hope for you through Jesus Christ. Unless and until you place Jesus Christ at the center of your life, recognizing him as your Savior and your Lord, life will never be figured out. It'll never make sense. You can try. You can try. Had a Ball State student after the last service come up to me and say, you know, I'm, I'm actually reading Darwin, and I'm actually, actually reading some of these atheists from the past right now in my studies. And she said, that was helpful perspective. And you can put it all in perspective. There's nothing wrong with studying the writings of Charles Darwin or Karl Marx. Not at all. Study them. They're brilliant. They're absolutely brilliant. But you've got to keep it in perspective. And I, for one, will not swallow the notion that if you're teaching me that I came from nothing, I'm going nowhere, and I'm supposed to be fulfilled in this life. Find, find some other sucker to teach that to. I'm not buying it. But if you want to teach me that I came from someone and I'm going somewhere, and therefore my life matters, and I have an eternal purpose and design by Almighty God, that I just didn't poof, come out of nothing, but I came out of his creative mind and he destined me for an eternity with him. Now I have something to live for. Now I have purpose. Now I have a destiny that matters. Now I can find meaning and fulfillment in what I do and how I live and the relationships I build and the influence that God gives me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So pursue a relationship with God and then become like Jesus. In other words, get to know God and then get to know him better. Build, start a relationship with God and then grow a relationship with God. Become like Jesus. And that's what Romans 8 
implies, for God chose us to bear the family likeness of his son so we might be the eldest of many brothers. In other words, God wants us to become more and more like Jesus, shaped into his image, so that we can reflect the family likeness. Hey, you look like Jesus. You act like Jesus. Now, that's, that's the goal. Get to know God and then grow in your relationship with God. And then the third thing is practice serving. Practice serving. Ephesians 2.10, God who made us has given us new lives in Christ and long ago planned that we should spend these lives helping others. Practice serving. You know how to serve people. Find their need and meet it. That's how you serve someone. Practice serving. Now you know what serving means, so practice serving. And this will help you. The best use of our lives is spending them in meaningful work in the lives of others. People ask me, is your, is your life fulfilled? Look, I got the best job in the world. I, I love my job. I love what I do. I love being your pastor. I love being here. I, I wouldn't be anywhere else in the world. Otherwise, I would have left before now. <laughs> I'm, I'm like gum on the shoe now. You just can't, can't get me off. And so I'm, I like being here. I do. But I have to tell you, pastor in a church, as gratifying as it is, fulfilling as it is with so many great, great people and so many wonderful things we do together, let me tell you what really gets me going. The things that, that really matters to me is figuring out what in the world God is doing and then engaging and coming alongside of God in the purposes of, of his kingdom so that, so that wherever the strategic edge is of the activity of God's spirit in the world, that's where I want to gravitate. That's where I want to go. I want to lean that way. I want to throw myself into that. My mentor, one of my mentors said, you'll do the best with your life if you discern the will of God for your generation and then fling yourself into it. And I want to just challenge everybody in the room. Are you, are you giving yourself to something that's more important than you? Are you giving yourself in some capacity in your life to something that's bigger than you, that has a kingdom perspective to it, that, that has that kind of impact? Because that's why you're here. This is the meaning of life. You're part of something bigger. That's why I think there's so much potential in a local church like this. Because together we can do things that individually we could never accomplish. And we've seen this over the years. As God has opened doors of opportunity for us to influence people here in Muncie and around the world. And it's, it's fabulously exciting. It is so much fun. It's such a great adventure to follow Jesus out there on the edge. And I just invite you all to try it. Practice serving. Engage your life in meaningful service to others and see if it isn't fulfilling and satisfying to you. And then lastly, share life's purpose with others. Share life's purpose with others. 2 Corinthians 5.19, this is the wonderful message you have given us to tell others. You know, the mission statement for Union Chapel is very simple. Know Jesus Christ, grow in your relationship with Jesus, and go telling others about Jesus. That's our mission statement, why we exist as a church. Know Jesus, grow in our relationship with Jesus, go telling others. Know, grow, go. Any questions? Know, grow, go. And I've just unpacked this a little bit. Pursue a relationship with God and then grow your relationships. That's the knowing and the growing. And then the last two things is I said serve and share. That's the going. So this is what you do in response to figuring out the meaning of life. Again, the meaning of life is to know that you are the focus of God's affection, his love, 
and his hope. And he has eternal plans for you, long-range plans to include you in his kingdom, which will never end. And how exciting and gratifying and winsome and adventuresome and fulfilling it is to follow Jesus in this way. Well, if you know the meaning of life, it'll help you sort. It'll help you make decisions. It'll help you make choices. It'll help you take the next steps in your journey. And so may I embolden you and encourage you to take the next step in your journey because everyone is ready for the next step. Would you do that by faith? And I hope you'll find great meaning and purpose along the way. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for these important words of wisdom from Solomon, how he so clearly reminds us of what life can become if we lack purpose, focus, and meaning. So Lord, help us to receive the love you offer today, to recognize that you have made us the focus of your affection and your love and your value. So help us, we pray, to live our lives and make choices that honor this important invitation you give us to be loved and to love others. So help us, we pray. God, give us your grace. Give us your strength. Help us with your spirit. I pray that every person in this room now will be in a place to take the next step. Say, yes, yes, Lord. I, I need to follow you. Meet each one of us then at the point of our need in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.